Welcome to Business Spotlight on Money Radio WPSC. Business Spotlight is heard weekly at this time on 1450 AM and 107.1 FM. Today's guest is former Homeland Security Secretary and Pennsylvania Governor, the Honorable Tom Ridge. So welcome to a very special edition of Baron Talks here on Money Radio WPSC. I say very special because we have a guest who's well known here in Erie today, uh, who has had a huge impact on this campus here uh, at Barron, and that is Governor Tom Ridge. Welcome, Governor. Hey, nice to be with you. Nice to be back on campus, actually. Thank you for the invitation. Well, we appreciate it. We, you know, it's been a while since <laughs> since you've been here, and we wanted to get you back yeah. uh, to see some of the things that that you started when, with Knowledge Park and uh, with uh, the creation of the what is now known as the Jack Burke Research and Economic Development Center. So, as you sit here uh, and you're you're in this building, what are your thoughts today after you've seen it? Well, first of all, I want to thank you again for extending the invitation. It's been a great, uh, a great trip, not only down memory lane, but more importantly, the vision that's been embodied uh, in Knowledge Park. I remember, I think, in our conversation earlier this morning, we talked about our first meeting, maybe it was in 1998, in Dean Lilly's office when mm-hmm. we were thinking about Knowledge Park. And that's how fast and how far uh, you've gone, the school's gone since that time. And uh, so, so as I drove in, and it's been a while since I've been here, I thought the seeds of an idea have already sprouted uh, many, many extraordinary uh, opportunities uh, for the school, for the students, for the business community. Uh, so uh, first impressions are powerful and positive, so I've, uh, I've enjoyed the visit. Well, we really, I think you picked up on it earlier. You said, <clears throat> geez, this is a really unique uh, environment. It's a place where you can go from doing high-end research, uh, but a student really has the opportunity to work with the company. And you saw companies up there today like Hero BX and Process and Data Automation, a homegrown company that's growing very rapidly in the park. And I think that that really struck you. Well, a lot of things struck me today, and we'll probably talk about some of them during the course of this conversation. But the notion that you can take a traditional academic institution and you've got a traditional mission, we're going to educate our students, but then you give them, in a very practical and convenient day-to-day work or research experiences that are relevant, the second element, and then you tie that in, in many instances, this is research directed by, supported by uh, the business community, so all of a sudden you've taken the traditional education. You've added almost a Montessori, well, we want our students to get, you know, put their hands on the clay to mold uh, the mm-hmm. model. And you've tied that in with the business community. And you've got a trifecta. And I don't go to the racetrack and bet very often. Uh, but this is a trifecta, I think, that is a winning combination uh, for the school, for the student, and for the business community. So it's really rather remarkable what you're doing here. And I dare say, I'm not sure it's being done in too many other college campuses and university campuses around the country as effectively as you're doing it here. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And I think you you are correct. There, there, it, it's a model that is unique, and I always say it the exact same way. If I can bring together those three partners of industry, our students, and academia, which are our faculty, and they're all getting something valuable out of it. Faculty are advancing their research, business are getting new product ideas, are getting access to talent. But at the core of our mission is those students are a lot better prepared than they might otherwise be. Uh, so we keep 
trying to get the word out on what we're doing. And I think in a positive way, you know, that there's no singular way to do this, but it can be done, but it takes a lot of work, actually. Well, one of the things I, it does take a lot of work, but you know, success does breed success. And there was a, there was a moment in one of the labs that I observed how the professors, how the teachers can derive energy from their students and the students can derive energy from their professors to see them interacting with the enthusiasm around innovation, with the enthusiasm around creation, with the enthusiasm of, around, hey, we were given a problem to solve. Others couldn't solve it, and we did, and we did it as students. Uh, I mean, it's got to be not only a prideful moment, but uh, an inspiring moment and an encouraging moment for those students to say, hey, my career isn't here. I, these are big problems. I've solved them as a student. Uh, I've got a great opportunity, particularly within the business community, to be a problem-solving entrepreneur in the future. That There's nothing like that enthusiasm, and to breed it, it's one thing to talk about it, but given the opportunity to actually experience it, see it, and point to an outcome that said, I did that, or we accomplished that objective. That's a big deal, and uh, you could you could appreciate the energy and the enthusiasm and the pride that both uh, uh, the professor and the students have. Well, you saw it down there today, and it, it is very you know it's a proud moment for us to see that. But I always like to say this is just the beginning. Good. We need a hundred of those stories, but you saw down there today, for example, a student who said to you. Look, we needed a larger 3D printer that has capability that no one else has. And what are they doing? They built it. I mean, that's amazing. He was so pride. And I said, well, help me build it. He pointed at that student. Then he pointed at that student. They all come over with a great deal of pride. When it comes to technology, I've got a lot to learn. These young men have forgotten more than I probably ever know about 3D printing. But they looked with great pride. They said, yeah, we've had a smaller scale. We couldn't find a bigger scale. So what? Well, we just built one. We ordered the component parts, and we built our own 3D printer. I said, well, thank you very much. Welcome to Baron." And the other one also said, and I'm starting my own company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I'm starting my own business. And uh, was very confident in that, too, and uh, almost matter-of-fact about the whole thing. Yeah, my hunch he's going to start several. He's had the makings of a serial entrepreneur. Well, one of the other things you brought up in our discussion this morning was how are the universities collaborating? And as I told you, that node you saw, that Innovation Commons here on campus, that is just one part of a larger network. And all four universities are building a node in what we call the Innovation Beehive Network. And I believe that is the key to the future of the region as well, is building that ecosystem where all our students and faculty are talking to each other and developing new ideas. Well, I am a strong proponent, and I want to applaud uh, your initiative uh, and applaud the other college and university presidents that have embraced the idea. Clearly, uh, college and universities are always competing for students. I understand that. But the challenge remains is once that competition is over, the freshmen are enrolled, then you've got a responsibility to educate uh, but you also see the responsibility to be a part of the economic development, not machinery, but part of the economic development initiative within the community. And the fact that we've got these four institutions of higher learning in, Pencil- in Erie, Pennsylvania, collaborating in what you call the Innovative Beehive, that's very exciting to me because that collaboration has proven to be a wildly successful collaboration in many other parts in the country. It's the first time we've done it in this community, and I think it portends a lot of meaningful accomplishments down the road. So I commend you for it. I'm glad you took the lead on it. Well, thank you. And, you know, it is, you're right, we do compete. Of course. And, of course, but in the end, if we don't grow the population and if we don't grow the economy, well, all boats will rise. 
Well, that's exactly, I mean, but that's a healthy attitude. Look, you're talking to somebody that spent a great deal of time in public service and, and government from time to time operates in silos and getting interagency collaboration <laughs> or cooperation isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. And I suspect among academic institutions, it's equally challenging. So when you can step up and say, hey, for the institutions in Erie County said, yep, we're going to compete for that entering class. But once we're done with that, we, gotta, we have collaborative work to do to advance our interest as an institution, but our broader interest interest in building a community of students that hopefully will stay in the region and connecting them with businesses in the region, uh, that's an outcome that I think everyone would embrace. You are listening to Barron Talks, and uh, my guest today is Governor Tom Ridge. And Governor Ridge, I, I want to tell you, the first time that I think I met you face-to-face was the opening of this building, and I was, uh, you know, about uh, 12 years younger, <laughs> and I was a newly minted uh, director, or soon-to-be director. <laughs> maybe of the engineering school uh, at that point. But I do remember so you talking to a group of us afterwards and saying, you know, I've given you this great opportunity here. Now go go forward. And we built this business and engineering partnership. And I'm just, you know, what are your thoughts as, you know, did you see the vision way back then in terms of, you know, how this building would come together and all that would happen? Well, thank you for even suggesting that I might have seen the vision. I, I'm not sure it was as focused as it is today. Uh, but part of me just intellectually and emotionally has always valued the notion that you could connect the academic world and the, and the scholastic community with the business community. You do it as early as you possibly can so you could advance the interests of both. And I, I noticed that the, the sign in Knowledge Park talks about uh, growth uh, and the relationship, the partnership between, uh, between the school and, and, uh, and industry. But you made it. Uh, Barron Penn State made it happen. And those people may have had the vision, but the ultimate test is in the execution of the vision. And I think with your leadership and your predecessors, Mr. Burke and Dean Lilly, uh, you've, you've taken a vision that's gotten clearer and clearer, and you've executed on that vision. And uh, with even more and better things to come, my sense is. Yeah, I, that is the case. And we, we keep thinking about how do we build... Uh, the the future here and as you said it was always people here who had a vision about the institution and not necessarily about themselves and that's what I always like to remind people here that we we've built things on the you know that that we can't take for granted Uh, people uh, such as yourself making sure we had the funding to make this this building occur but it was far more than that it was a vision that business and engineering would collate locate together I will tell you some of the things that have come out since since that point we created a whole new major uh, called interdisciplinary business and engineering. It's now one of our fastest growing majors on, on campus. Uh, students are highly sought after by companies not only in Erie but around the country. That that is like the the keystone that's come out of this. Truly unique, one of only a few programs like it in the United States. It's a it's a combination. It's engineering and business and business. Well, you know it's. We live in an interconnected, interdependent world, and the best metaphor might be the Internet, but the fact of the matter is uh, the connectivity between those two uh, for future employees, for future entrepreneurs is undeniable. And the better it's understood, appreciated, and utilized, as you do here, the more effective those men and women with that interdisciplinary degree will be, and more promising their future will be in the future, in, in, in the years ahead. So that that interdisciplinary approach 
is kind of consistent with what the 21st century economy and world is all about. You can't silo yourself in one discipline or the other. Well, you can and be successful, but the prospects of commingling of those intellectual approaches uh, toward your future is probably gives you a uh, gives you an advantage in the workplace. That's for sure. That is the value that employers see. Absolutely, and that's and it, I would say you can't take for granted. It wasn't easy to do, but we've now really made it part of the culture here, and we're looking at other majors, and we already have some that that take that exact same philosophy. Uh, and interestingly, it's a degree that sits in the school of business, but. If you're a you're, you quote get a business degree, but how many business students take a full year and a half of engineering courses yep. and know how to do product design and development? Very, very, very few. So you're you're differentiated in the market. Well, I think you know it's interesting what you've done. There've been law schools that do it. Penn State Dickinson is doing it, and, and a lot of other law schools are doing it as well. So you can take the standard. There are standard courses within any law school and come out prepared to be. a a good lawyer, but you can integrate with those traditional courses once you've identified what your other interest in that broad area might be. Uh, maybe you, uh, you in a discipline with uh, courses uh, relative to uh, the medical profession or some other profession, well, then you're just much more marketable in that space upon graduation. So electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, structural engineering, plus business, oh, can't go wrong. You got, you're one up on that individual who coming out just with a business degree, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your, your point, uh, we see these students taking on projects from a broad range of industries. They'll go into some of the local hospitals. How can we help you improve processes? How can we help you reduce costs? And that's an experience that's just invaluable. Well, when you're doing the doing the uh, or, or quick trip uh, ride around, uh, some of your team members were telling me that uh, some of the companies you're working with now uh, are driven by analytics. I mean, it, it is the era of big data. Decisions are made relative to the information you get. You grind it up, you analyze it, and then you apply it. But just in the undergraduate level, for students to be exposed to that feature of the integral part of a successful business in the years ahead is for that business, whatever it is, large or small, to take the information relative to its customers, relative to its products, all that, all that information, analyze it, and then apply it going forward. That's a talent probably best learned rather than read. Mm -hmm. So they can read about it, but you take them into the lab, you take them into one of these companies that are into data analytics here at the Knowledge Park, and you get the students working with them side by side with the analyst, analyst and you say, I got a hands-on experience. Been there, done that, next. That's right. I bet. It's a differentiator. Differentiate, for sure. Let me, let's switch to, uh, you know, your great love in life, and that is Lake Erie. Amen. And you got Tom it. Ridge Environmental Amen. Center. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> First of all, it is a treasure that I and my family and I think most people in Erie County uh, appreciate. I don't think we should ever take it for granted, but it is also the most significant. I think it's the jewel of all the state parks. We, we are connected to uh, the Great Lakes, which is 20% of the fresh water in the, on the planet. And the opportunities that it offers for 
individuals, for families. Um, it's just something that I enjoyed as a very, very young boy growing up. We didn't take many vacations. We took long weekends on the peninsula. That's all we needed. A lot of sand, frisbee, baseball, softball, swimming, skipping stones across the water, you name it. We did all that stuff. And I also worked out there for a couple of years collecting garbage. So I know that peninsula pretty well, actually by the back of my hand. I think it is fair to say that Presque Isle, Lake Erie, that was a formative experience. It's a formative place in your it life. Was, it was. It was. A, it, it, it was also an opportunity as a young person, 16, 17, 17, 18 years of age, to see in a much more intimate way the complicated ecology, the diversity. I mean, we were in the lagoons, and we were on the beaches, and we were in the woods, and uh, we did all kinds of things. And unless you have an opportunity like that as a young person, I'm not sure you'll appreciate uh, the diversity and how unique uh, Mm -hmm. Presque Isle is, let alone enjoying the pleasure of just spending a day there, biking, hiking, fishing, you name it. There's a lot to be done out there. And the fact that we've been smart enough never to commercialize it. What's interesting in the history, most people don't know, that at one point in time, people in Erie tried to attract, I think, tried to attract Andrew Carnegie to build a steel mill there. Now think about that one. I'm glad he said no. And now we've got this beautiful, beautiful, uh, exquisite place. And, uh, but we still have a responsibility as stewardship to protect it. And that's why I'm particularly pleased that uh, we've aligned ourselves, the, the environmental center out there has aligned itself with Barron to, to do some research that'll help sustain its beauty and protect its very pristine environment. Well, do we think that's the great opportunity we've been discussing today? And certainly the work to date has been very significant between TREC and the Pennsylvania Sea Grant, which a lot of people may not know. Pennsylvania Sea Grant uh, is something that you can only have. You can only be a Sea Grant institution if you're connected to a great length and great lake. And uh, Barron oversees that. And it's a significant research operation. But we see great opportunity there, and I think you do too. Well, I, I do. And that's why the partnership, and you and I have talked uh, privately about the value of public-private partnership. This is a value of a nonprofit, nonprofit partnership. Yeah. But we need to have the business, the for-profit uh, business in the community appreciate the synergy between, uh, between the three of us. But it is a, uh, it's an incredible resource. And uh, shame on us if we don't uh, protect it. Shame on us if we don't learn by doing research on it and then apply that maybe to, uh, to the business world, not only preserve assets, but there are probably some businesses going to be created out of what we need to do to preserve the environment out there. First and foremost, we've got to protect that. I think we've got a lot of people who are committed to doing that, but the problems are complex. People would not have seen the plastic microparticles in the water yeah. 10, 15 years ago. I don't, you know, I really don't think that, you know, they dive into the water out there as they walk along the, walk, the beach, but it's such a sensitive environment. They don't understand that ballast water from international shipping has created a problem with invasive species. I don't think they'll ever appreciate uh, uh, the PPCPs that are now uh, contaminants. They don't pre- pre- appreciate storm water that runs off and, and brings in some contaminants. They don't appreciate that there's a lot of erosion that goes on. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And, and you mentioned uh, even now the, 
unfortunately, our waters are becoming infested with too many plastics, and there's an opportunity there for us to understand. Uh, as some of your professors told me, well, maybe we could do the research and find out polymers that uh, could contribute to the same qualities of the plastic but dissolve rather than create an environmental problem in these in the oceans or in the lake. So there's a lot to be learned, uh, but there's a great deal and great need that, that, that not only Lake Erie, but the freshwater needs to be protected. I think on the other side of it, what we underestimate as humans is sometimes I think we throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, well, I can't do anything about that. But I, that's not the case at all. No, no, it's not. Well, you know, it was a, a river that flowed into Lake Erie, Cuyahoga River in Cleveland, caught on fire because way back when people didn't, they thought the answer to pollution was dilution. Okay, well, the lakes are so large that we'll just kind of throw that stuff in there and it'll be diluted. And, you know, I'm one, uh, look, everybody knows my political affiliation is Republican, but I'm glad we have the Clean Water Act. I'm glad we have the Clean Air Act. The fact is that you have a responsibility to preserve the environment and make sure that the generations that succeed you can enjoy it in as good a condition as you enjoyed. And, um, it's not about what we inherit. We have to, at very least, preserve, if not improve. And uh, that's why some of the research that we think we've been doing and we will do will be done uh, between Penn State Barron and uh, the Environmental Center will uh, help us meet that obligation to the next generation. Governor Ridge, I'd like to uh, talk about something that's, I think, important to to you, and that is the the idea of free speech on campuses, and how this should be. A, how should, how do you view university campuses in, in in a place for debate? Well, I like to refer to the First Amendment to the Constitution, and tie that into the uh, the traditional learning associated with uh, university campuses, and say if there is to be an amphitheater for the expression of a diverse range of ideas. Uh, it would seem to me that one of the best places for that amphitheater to exist and the most prominent and most respected places and necessary places would be a college campus. I know for a fact that some of my greatest experiences in college particularly, and at the time it was viewed as a fairly liberal institution at Harvard, was across the table uh, with some friends who had different political points of view, had different points of view on social issues, economic issues, those issues. And I wasn't offended by somebody with a different point of view. Uh, sometimes it changed my mind, mollified a point of view. Sometimes I changed theirs. So this whole notion of free speech, I think, should be embraced uh, particularly uh, by college campuses. And uh, it's Tom Ridge's point of view, and I'll take it with me to my grave. I'm going to tell you, I think you're 100% right. And, and I've been having this discussion with our students as of late. And, and by the way, there's a great book you should read if you haven't read it called The Coddling of the American Mind. Now, I'm raving to everybody about this book. And the, the premise is exactly that. They examine what's going on in college campuses. And far too often, people are just speaking to people who are like-minded. And you don't learn a whole lot from that. And as difficult as the conversation may be, you've got to be able to learn how to have somebody challenge you in a way that maybe you didn't like before, uh, be able to control your emotions, but also understand their point of view. I don't, I think at the heart of America's democracy, but the heart of America's success, its advancement, its progress, has been the maturation of ideas, not only about political change, but social change, economic change. If those making a 
horse and buggies resisted uh, tires and primitive automobiles. If those, I mean, just, just think about how the, the exchange of ideas, as powerful and as disruptive they might be, and indeed some ideas are very disruptive emotionally and intellectually, but you have to accept that as, as the freedom associated with living in a democracy. You know, there's not, there's, I could point to a lot of countries that have billions of people, if you aggregated them and you can't stand up and protest against anything the government's doing, oh, you may stand up and protest, but you won't be standing for long. It'll probably be the last protest you ever issue. So I'm a big believer that differences are to be respectfully shared and, and tolerated. And uh, I think college campuses are the most important, one of the most important forms for that exchange of ideas. It's a, and, and every once in a while I read about, what do they call them, safe spaces? Mm-hmm. Then I need to be in my little cocoon, and I don't want anybody to tell me anything that would disrupt my point of view. Well, I might offer you a different narrative. Let them share their view that may be 100% at odds. It may reinforce yours, or if you keep an open mind, and I'd like to think people keep an open mind from the day their mind begins to function until the day they die, then you may learn something and be a better student, better this, better that. So I'm, I'm a big believer in college campuses. I, my best experiences, I know I'm going a little longer on the answer that uh, you Go wanted to I will tell you my best experiences as a congressman, as a governor, and even as Secretary of Homeland Security, is probably reflected in my last public embrace of a university campus on a very controversial subject where I knew the campus disagreed primarily with my president. I was working with President Bush at the time and our involvement, particularly in Iraq and a little Afghanistan. It was the London School of Economics, not known as a bastion of conservative thought. Mm-hmm. And my friend said, eh, you really gonna speak at LSE? I said, yes, and they questioned my judgment. I said, listen, my experience with college students and high school students, by and large, and I mean 99.5% has been positive. So I expect that these men and women will hear me out. There'll be a very provocative and respectful question and answer period. And hopefully we'll both come away better informed and, and intellectually will embrace or even modify our point of view. And that's exactly what happened. So this notion that, oh, you gotta go to a safe space, uh, I understand that, but uh, I just don't think it, it reflects a very, I'll just flatly say it, I don't think it reflects a very mature approach toward life in general, and certainly doesn't reflect, I think, one of the unique opportunities for those who have a privilege to go to college and university level, and that is to the other side of the view. And it also would lend itself to, I think, an appreciation of the need for civility in public debate, which mm-hmm. fortunately we don't, from time to time we look at our leaders in Washington, we scratch our heads. But then again, I knew Joe Biden and John McCain, both are friends of mine. I was uh, one of John McCain's uh, pallbearers. Their worldviews were entirely different, but I was with them on so many occasions when they introduced each other, you'd have thought they were they were the best of friends. You know why? Because they appreciated everybody's point of view. And for the students listening to this, there are two two strong-willed Supreme Court justices who had a 180-degree difference in their opinions reflected in their Supreme Court opinions, uh, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Scalia. And you know what? They were the best of friends. They went to opera together. And you know why? Because they respected the rigor of each other's point of view, the intellectual discipline and forethought they put into their writings. And with that respect, they built an incredible relationship. That should be the nature of civic dialogue. That should be the nature of discussions on campuses. And frankly, I'm glad to hear you don't have any safe spaces at Barron. Good for you.
we're at a point in our country now where the political divide just seems greater and greater. To your to your point, it's not good for the country. It's not. I mean, and it's, there's no easy answer, but do you have some ideas on, on how we can start well, to bring, bring reverse that? Well, ultimately, it comes down to uh, leadership. I've had occasion over the past couple of uh, months to be in front of some students and talking to them about this, and I'd probably, we're probably close to the conclusion of this conversation, mm-hmm. but to the extent that any of your students are listening to this, I got an answer to that. Government is about tomorrow. Decisions that governments make today, positively or adversely, depending on your point of view, will affect tomorrow. Well, I would look at all the students on the Barron campus and say, you have more tomorrows than I do by virtue of looking at the calendar. You're a hell of a lot younger than I am. And so if we want to change the nature of the debate, I don't care how you're registered, Republican or Independent or Democrat, it's immaterial, register, be involved, but you have to become more engaged. In 2018, only 31% of the young people between 18 and 29 chose to vote. Voting is not a privilege, in my judgment. I think it's a responsibility of citizenship. And so I would just encourage your audience, you get a quality education here. I appreciate the opportunity to just chat with you, Dean, and uh, reach uh, reach uh, them. Uh, but I hope they take that that mantra, that notion, as a citizen of this country. I have a responsibility to be engaged. In my view, if you just voted, that would be enough. But I'd like you to take a little bit further. If you see somebody whose conduct or his approach is offensive, there's a lack of civility. Not that they disagree with you, but there's a lack of civility. If there's a lack of respect for their opponent or the institutions of government, you ought to call them on it. Pick up the phone, call the office, drop them a note. Or the next time they run, if they're so egregious, then pick a candidate. They're still holding them accountable. You can hold them accountable at the ballot box as well. So uh, I think the future is bright for this country. Uh, I certainly think the future is bright for this community. I saw the enthusiasm of the people in the labs and that integration of uh, education and business and that hands-on experience. I love the notion. I can go to class, go to lab. I, I just it's thrilling innovation. There's a lot of good happening here, and I'm glad you gave me a uh, chance to see, see part of it. Well, that is great advice. We're coming to the end of the conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't leave uh, the campus without saying we are Penn, Penn State. State. <laughs> Thank you for visiting. It's been a pleasure to have you here. My great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Spotlight on Money Radio WPSE. Join us again next week for an encore presentation of the Business Spotlight.